Welcome to the Qualitative Applied Health Research Center's new series on anti-racist qualitative research. In this series, you'll join me, Sahel Janasari, to look at whether, how, and to what extent qualitative research can contribute towards anti-racism and decolonization. Today, we're starting at the beginning of things, talking about how theory, how post-colonial critical race theory can help us interpret qualitative data and shape our qualitative health projects to anti-racist aims. We've got with us an incredible guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is B. Damara. I'm a researcher at King's College London on the Modern Slavery Core Outcome Set. We are working on the Modern Slavery Core Outcome Set project. Can you tell us a bit about what that is and what a core outcome set means? So the Modern Slavery Core Outcome Set is about speaking to survivors of human trafficking and people who work in the anti-trafficking field about uh, what their desired outcomes are after exiting human trafficking. Amazing. Thanks, B. And what's your role in the project? I'm a researcher with lived experience. So part of that is giving consultancy to academic researchers. I've also interviewed trafficking survivors. I've um, done data analysis and transcription. And um, I've been facilitating a research advisory board. Cool. Thank you. And I know you are also applying for a PhD looking at survivor activist perspectives on the relationship between human trafficking and colonialism in South Africa. So to get stuck into the theory, it'd be great to know a bit about, with this idea of yours, what sort of post-colonial theorists you're using and why use theorists in the first place. Okay, so I will uh, talk about some of the different perspectives on uh, human trafficking or modern slavery, depending on what your position is. It can vary what what you call it. So on on the one hand, you have uh, Kevin Bales and the the Rights Lab at the University of Nottingham, who they, uh, Kevin Bales is one of the primary modern slavery theorists who's really kind of brought out into the open the issue of human trafficking and modern slavery. And his perspective is that modern slavery is a continuation of transatlantic slavery. The main difference being that um, it's not focused on race. So people are exploited based on economic circumstances rather than uh, because of the color of their skin. And then on kind of the other side of things, you have uh, Laura Brace and Julia O'Connell Davidson, who have a bit of more of a critical perspective on human trafficking, which is that it's it's actually very different to the transatlantic slave trade. One of the examples that's used is that people who are trafficked today, oftentimes they they want to to move. That might not be the case for everyone and I always say I think it, it, it's better not to kind of make a statement that's like a sweeping statement that applies to all survivor because everyone's case is different but they, they they argue that people want want to move and in the past people subjected to slavery in the transatlantic slave trade didn't want to move there's also many other differences 
uh, like it, it, it would be lifelong generational. And that's sometimes, again, sometimes the case with modern slavery, but usually not usually often it's a set period like say if you're in, in debt bondage you you stay in the situation until they say that the money is paid off and then you might be allowed to leave and uh, there's many differences that have been pointed out between the two and um the other kind of point of disagreement is that whether it's based on race or not and Julia O'Connor Davidson and Laura Brace both uh, look into the colonial aspect of human human trafficking. So the way it's described by Julia O'Connor-Davidson is that actually global inequalities that we see as a result of colonialism are where the afterlife of slavery lies. And people who are trafficked, they actually have more in common with people who were exploited when they were trying to flee slavery than um, people in slavery themselves. So to Julia O'Connor-Davidson, like, the real afterlife of slavery is in the kind of trapped, impoverished com- conditions that people live in in the global south, and then the the kind of legal controls on their movement, because that obviously was a, a major issue in um, transatlantic slavery as well. People needed documents to move around. Their movement was completely controlled, and you see that in. I mean, there's a a researcher called Sharma and she describes it as a global apartheid. And as a South African who's experienced um, apartheid conditions, that's something I can agree with. Like there's a different, definite kind of segregation of people and poverty between the global north and and the global south. And to Julia O'Connor-Davidson and Laura Brace, that's where the issue truly lies. Whereas when... The Rights Lab and Kevin Bales, a lot of their focus tends to be more individualistic. So criminalizing traffickers, rescuing victims. And the implications of that is that the government ends up kind of using the research as an excuse to put more put on more migration controls. So you often see in the in the media oh, we, we need to stop these. We need France's cooperation to stop boats coming across, to stop these evil traffickers from exploiting people. And then you see that getting used as an excuse to stop letting people into the country, when really that's kind of exacerbating the problem because you're, you're creating a more of a boundary. It's um, kind of solidifying this divide between the, the North and the South. And really a solution would, a better solution would be to, instead of focusing on individual crimes and individual cases, to even out the situation globally. Uh, Reparations, for example, you know, would go a long way towards uh, really fixing the problem. I mean, another way you can look at it is uh, Laura Brace and Julia Connell Davidson, they, they kind of argue that there's it's not a very clear boundary about what can be defined as trafficking. So, for example, like legal migrants, so-called legal migrants, um, sometimes they come into the country and they can be on like a, an employment visa, say uh, domestic workers, for example, and they're kind of bound to their employer in that way. And a lot of the same conditions apply, but it's not classed as modern slavery or trafficking, um, even though a lot of the same conditions can 
apply. And you could say the same with sex work as well, because um, if you're being forced into sex work by a person, they're classed that as human trafficking. If you're being forced into sex work because of your life situation, like not being able to eat or because you have a drug addiction, for example, that's not classed as human trafficking. Whereas the only difference really is the um, the source of what's forcing someone is different. So it is this kind of arguments about where the boundaries lie and if it can even be defined at all. And me personally, I'm kind of between the two extremes of the debate, closer to the Laura Brace side and Julia O'Connell Davidson side, because I do um, I do think that it's a structural issue more than an individual issue. Brilliant. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful summary of the two sort of theoretical positions that may be in tension with each other. So you've told me that you are doing a insider or you're hoping to do an insider ethnography with photo voice. I kind of wanted to see. So you've just said, you know, you're probably more towards the Laura Brace, Julia, Julia Connell section of spectrum of section of the spectrum, I suppose. So what is it? How is that going to affect your insider ethnography? You know, if you have this theory in mind, how is that going to make the ethnography and the photo voice different to if you didn't? I suppose um, it's going to change what I focus on. So uh, the reason I've chosen to do photo voice is because I, I want to capture conditions that people are living in. And um, what kind of interested me in doing the project in South Africa, as well as being from there myself and also because of the apartheid situation, have an interest in that. But it's also working with people there who have said things like they find it difficult to stay safe because they have uh, needs to for survival. And so it's limited kind of options that people have. It's between not being able to eat and afford to survive or going into a situation that might be exploitative. So I guess that's going to, I'm interested in sort of capturing the context of that and people's reasons for entering situations where they might be exploited. Great, thanks. And you think that perhaps for Laura Brace, Julia Connell, more structural theory will help you get at those reasons better perhaps than the Kevin Bale school of thought? Yeah, because it kind of more explains, tries to explain the underlying why, why is this happening? And I guess that's what I'm more interested in. And I think really to find any solutions to it, you have to look at the why. Um, You can't really respond without looking at the reasons why it's happening in the first place. Thanks, B. One question that kind of came to mind when you were talking about Kevin Bales's theory. So it's still is around a continuation of the transatlantic slave trade, you know, conceiving modern slavery as that, but focusing on economics, not race. I'm just a bit confused as how you could say that it's a continuation of a transatlantic slave trade, but not focus on race. How how does that work? Just I guess what he's saying is they're the same kind of tactics used, but different people targeted. But to me... I think there's a lot that goes against that. Like, um, for example, you can't really look at economic situations without looking at race because the whole reason for economic disparity between different countries, a lot of it is coming down to colonialism. 
So how can you possibly separate the two? And even when you look at domestic trafficking in in places like the US, there's a huge overrepresentation of people of color who are being trafficked domestically. Why is that? And if it's not to do with race, then then why? And interestingly, in the UK, they don't appear to record, at least in the NRM statistics, they don't appear to be recording people's race. They, they're recording um, country of origin. So you see they'll record that people are British, but there isn't a breakdown of their ethnicity. Um, I'm sure they do have those figures. I'd hope they do have those figures. I haven't seen them. That would be interesting to to know as well. Thank you. So there's kind of a, you know, looking at modern slavery, you're saying needs, at least in part, some sort of anti-racist lens to understand it fully because of who it, not solely, but majority primarily affects. Yeah, definitely. And and as I said before, like you can't really make a sweeping statement about everyone who's been through trafficking. There's lots of white British people who've been through trafficking who have, you know, been targeted for different reasons. So this isn't going to apply to everyone. And I'm always wary of, you know, because I think that there's a lot of that on both sides of the argument. This is how it is for traffic people. No, this is how it is for traffic people. But actually it's different for a lot of you know, depending on case by case. But certainly there's a lot bigger effects on people of colour and that needs to be considered and looked into. Also, it's interesting um, when you think about definitions, when you're talking about the use of force and coercion, uh, the Palermo Protocol, which is the kind of standard UN definition of um, human trafficking, coercion into exploitative uh, labour. Like, how different is it, as I've said before, being exploited by a person or being exploited by a situation or being coerced by a situation? Like, when you think about a lot of people living in the global south, if you're being forced because of your situation to work in a gold mine where you're getting paid very little, but you have to do it because you need to send your kids to school or send yourself to school if you're a child yourself. Who's the trafficker there? Is it the individual who owns the gold mine? Or is it the is it a state? Is it is it multiple states who are kind of funding this and causing these conditions to begin with? Uh, I find that like quite an interesting debate as well. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I think we often Hawk and focus on, as you said in the media, it's the criminal gangs and it's the trafficker. And that definitely feels like it takes away from the sort of roots of a problem. As you said, it individualizes things rather than looking at systems. And, and um, such a good point. I wondered if you could tell us then a bit about how much did race come up in the modern core, out, modern slavery core outcome set? project so we've established it's important and there are theories which can help bring that out but i just wanted to get your sense of how much you thought it came up or not in the core outcome set project i think it came up a lot i think it's something we could have explored more in our research but even without kind of specifically trying to explore it it's something that definitely came up like one of the outcomes that was voted on was no racism 
we'd actually had interesting discussions about that because we'd started off with the phrase less racism because we thought well that's more realistic you know we can't stop racism entirely and but uh participants especially survivors were very keen that we used the term no racism and part of that discussion people talked about the different ways people are treated in the asylum process based on where they came from and what their skin color was different ways people were treated in safe houses because of this as well and different experiences for people in the UK based on skin color as well so it, it was very relevant to people's experience even if it's something that we perhaps didn't explore enough of in the research itself thanks me so that's really interesting do you think there's something which could have been done better then in that context like would it have been useful for instance to use a theoretical lens to really bring that out what could have helped that project address racism better it's difficult to say i think perhaps um in the interviews we could have asked more about it to draw it out a bit more and um again perhaps in the surveys we could have included it somehow and again like in the analysis as well which is still ongoing it's something that can be drawn out there as well but really i think it needs more work other projects to kind of solely focus on it as well the core outcome said it had a specific focus of working out outcomes for all survivors which should include race but it would it would be good to see more research into people's experiences of survivors of human trafficking experiences of racial discrimination in the UK great thank you so perhaps maybe then a sort of critical race lens or a post colonial lens you know using those theories in the context of this project might not have worked are you saying and maybe it would have been it's more suited to other projects really focusing on racism yeah i believe so i think it it's something that should definitely be included in the uh, modern slavery core concept projects and perhaps could be included a bit more but more so i think it needs further research with a sole focus on it that's very helpful so i know that you were also writing a paper on uh, survivor involvement in the bond slavery core outcome set project and in that paper you're using theory which gets at power dynamics which i think is actually quite a nice way of you know you can in theory look at issues of race through racism through those uh, lenses but it's also perhaps a little broader so could you tell us a bit about the theories you're using to explore power dynamics and survivor involvement in the project so something i'm really interested in um coming on board as a survivor myself is kind of the difference of experience between being a survivor and being a kind of more traditional academic researcher is that there is that even though the research team has been very keen to include survivors at on an equal level there's still this underlying i guess feelings of inferiority for uh survivors and and that's not something that's come from uh the research team necessarily it's something that's kind of ingrained through you know for survivors through years and years of oppression and y- you can see that kind of structurally in the education system as well that um 
uh, inequalities when it comes to race and other uh, oppressions. There's like less access for certain people and more access for others. And it's you can kind of see those dynamics coming into play within the research team, even though we try to kind of confront them and talk about them and, and balance things a little bit as participatory research aims to do in practice it's very difficult to do because you're 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 working against centuries of of oppression that's that's kind of really deeply ingrained so i suppose that that's been the main focus of the what i've been drawing out of the paper really especially as well like um the kind of deep depoliticization of survivors and people of color because what you find is survivors particularly are kind of given citizenship on the basis of victimhood and that's often you you kind of have to play along with the victimhood thing like i'm here because i'm a victim please let me in because i'm a victim and as a result of that um this is something uh, arado talks about as well that the the kind of agental aspects of self get get kind of squashed and i think that's the case for people of color too and when you have both like your trafficking survivor and your person of color like that's kind of compounded i mean as we all know it's not been so long that people of color have been allowed to even vote so if you're kind of thinking i don't have agency i don't have a political voice because of uh, my skin color and also i'm a victim of trafficking it kind of compounds them So I think that that's related to the project because what we found in the project was people really wanted to use their political voice. We had uh, people who'd been doing campaigning, lobbying on all different kinds of issues and that really came into the conversation like whether we kind of asked about it or not that was always something that came in. And um uh Min Dang from Survivor Alliance uh, she she actually wrote a, a chapter in a, a book about survivors leaving a legacy. which i think is a a reason why a lot of survivors are interested in political action as well uh, it's kind of leaving something of yourself that's more than i'm just a victim leaving something different behind and something more constructive that book is edited by Chisholm Straker and Chan uh the one with um Mindang's chapter in Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so I guess that you're using some theories and ideas around power dynamics around depoliticization and agency to reflect on how the project went and to I guess bring out some of the things which are more unsaid or or to bring the history in as well, I guess would that be fair or Yeah, I believe so. because i think it's important and i think it's something that should be considered more um whether or not you kind of agree with Laura Brace's and Julia Connor Davidson's kind of side of the argument it still needs to be considered in 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 some way so what message would you have this is maybe a bit of a cheeky question but i'm curious what message would you have for you know you're saying that the rights lab which as far as i understand is probably the center of a lot of uh, human trafficking and slavery research in the uk got a lot of money from a government grant you know what message would you have for a, an organization like that mate is is there space for differing perspectives to bring out issues around structural racism what you know or, or does it just have to be done somewhere else i think 
both sides could collaborate a bit more, but that's difficult because they have very different positions. But I mean, to be fair to the Rats Lab, they do do research on on people's conditions prior to trafficking and ways that people's kind of financial conditions can be improved uh, in places where that are high risk for human trafficking. But I definitely think there's, in my view, not enough kind of structural analysis, and we need more people saying the kind of the cause of human trafficking is not these like evil, horrible individuals, although there are evil, horrible individuals involved, the cause of it is structural. And that's something we really need to tackle to really confront the issue. Thanks. That kind of makes me think of a a related question around the term modern slavery. And if you want to view it as a structural issue, should you frame the, you know, when you do research and you're working with survivors, should you work with a broader set of people, a broader range of people. So, you know, people, you know, who might not necessarily identify as survivors, but might have been through difficult and exploitative migration experiences. Is there something about, you know, there's too much of a modern slavery as a way of categorizing and perhaps artificially sealing off people? I don't know. What what do you think? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think to kind of really find out about where the boundaries lie if they I mean there's the idea of it being a spectrum as well which is interesting but definitely legally and in in sort of immigration law and things they set clear boundaries that aren't really there so it would be interesting to speak to people who might not traditionally be considered modern slavery survivors but have very similar almost identical positions I mean even if you think about the definition and um this is something Laura Brace talks about as well um, it can be applied to to wives in a lot of situations as well, who are kind of forced to stay in a marriage and then forced to take on unpaid labor as part of part of the marriage, and maybe through violence and coercion. Like you could argue that there's little difference between that. So it could be a much more expanded definition that's definitely worth kind of investigating. Thank you. And I guess with that more structural framing, with that sort of expanded definition, you will come to different solutions, I suppose. That's kind of what you were saying, I think, earlier in in the podcast, where you were talking about the two different theoretical perspectives, and they seem to lead to two different sort of conclusions on what needs to be done. Can, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so Kevin Bale's Rights Lab said is... A lot of that tends to be focused on rescuing individuals. So some of it is preventative in the terms of like um, setting up more ethical businesses and and um, encouraging fair trade practices and kind of legal justice solutions like arresting traffickers, combating tra- these trafficking gangs. And uh, but there isn't so much recommendation from that side about how we balance things. And maybe because it's a huge, huge task, you know, it's not something they can easily be called for, is that we balance the balance global inequality. Like that's not straightforward. It's it's huge, you know. And and it's true that in the meantime, like smaller things need to be done to help individual people. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think you can do that without looking at the bigger picture, which is what Laura Brace and Julia O'Connor Davidson are arguing 
is that you need to the real kind of afterlife of slavery is is the, in this global inequality and that's what we need to be focusing on great thank you so much so just coming towards the end of our podcast i'd like to ask a bit about if there's a listener out there who's thinking okay i am wanting to include sort of a more theoretical perspective in my work where could they go to read about some of these theories that you've talked about and also you know do you have any top tips for including theory in your work uh, definitely looking into kind of all sides of the argument, looking into critical perspectives as well and trying to, I mean, it's hard to read as a survivor myself as well. Trying to be like not so defensive about it is quite hard, like especially when, yeah, it's it's, it's complicated, but um, definitely trying to like let your guard down a little and take in more critical perspectives. There's uh, a few books I'd recommend. Julia O'Connor Davidson's, if you want a short read, there's a book by Julia O'Connor Davidson that's just come out, which is called What Do We Know About Slavery? That kind of gives a really useful overview in a small book. And another one that's written by Julia O'Connor Davidson and Laura Brace, it's edited by them. um, And it's a collection of works by different authors. I actually can't remember what it's called. We'll, we'll get it in the, um, if the listeners look on the webpage, we'll have the resource there. Okay, awesome. I think where you started was quite nice. It is really good to think about critical perspectives and, and try and let your guard down a bit. I feel like I often go into research with, you know, especially like I do a lot of migration work and my initial perspective is that sort of home office are obviously evil and the government is evil. Not that this necessarily changes much, but I think that having a critical perspective at least gives you a more nuanced way of interpreting theory and interpreting your findings. So I think it is a good place to start. At least you'll know the criticisms of the other side and then you can weave that into your interpretation so you have an even stronger argument. All right. Okay. Final question. If you want to find out more about the Mon Slavery Core Outcome Set project and that work, where can we go? So you can go to msquest.co.uk. We're also on Twitter and at msslaverycost. Um, and you can find information about the work we're doing on there. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So thanks so much, B, And thank you, listeners. Next episode, we will be continuing this series so today we looked at a lot of the theoretical framing around anti-racist qualitative research um and next episode we'll be talking hopefully to wayne farrer about how we frame research questions in an anti-racist way so please do join us for that thank you and good night